The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. Good Monday after Easter. It was a dirt race. I did not go. Keith Brake did. I did. He can tell us all about the Bristol experience now that he's like a neighbor. A Jace? Yes. I, I, I would say uh, track adjacent. Yeah. And then uh, we'll talk a little baseball, a little softball. Portal watch. Do we have anything Portal else? Portal watch. Yes. What else we got? Guys are... Oh, I thought I thought you said, do we have anything in the portal watch? Oh. Yes, we do. Oh. We well, do have something in portal watch eventually. Okay. Uh, let we'll, we'll me get to it. I, I was going to say, you're jumping right in there. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm unprepared. No, I, was, I, was, I wasn't going to jump right in and just drop that on you. But okay. We will, we will do it eventually. All right. So, have you been to a Bristol race before? I went to... The Jeff Foxworthy Grit Chips 300, like 11 wow. years ago, and uh-huh. it was in a suite. So I've never actually like sat in a Bristol grandstand. I sat in a suite and I watched Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson battle it out, literally to the final corner of the race, and it was. I had a great time, uh, and I also ate some grit chips, were which were okay, but nothing remarkable. Are those a thing now? Uh, not anymore. Hmm. I think at one point they were, but not anymore. Was it? Well, I'm sure it was if they were marketing. Or I would hope it was, but yes. Apparently that wasn't enough to uh, uh, make it take off. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy, I believe, gave the command that mm. day. So that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that was the last time I went to Bristol, and uh, to yesterday, last no- yesterday we left. So the gates open at 4:30. We left at about 4:45 from our house. And we walked through the campgrounds and the parking lots, and we picked up the shuttle on 394 that loops around. And the campgrounds are pretty light. My understanding is that by Bristol standards, for you know, 40 to 50 percent full for the spring race is decent. Uh, but it was a little light. It definitely looked empty. And uh, we got there, though. I mean, we had a great time. Uh, you know, the, all of the stuff that goes on outside the track was great. You know, the merch haulers were all very organized and they do a good job of getting people around and ferrying people around with the trams and the shuttle buses and all that. So the operation ran really smoothly. Again, you can say, well, it's because the crowd was really light. But overall, the operation ran really smoothly. And um, we got in. We did not realize that our seats were going to be that close to the track, like right on the edge of turn three. And uh, the Jeff Gordon Terrace, they were perfect seats. And uh, it was pretty loud. I could feel the cars in my chest. And the, that like that first time they went green, like I could feel it in my chest. And I was like, I live here now. I am moving from across the highway. I live here now. Uh, it was awesome. I'm kind of ambivalent on the dirt. Would probably rather see Bristol concrete. But um, that was, I had a great time. And uh, it sounds like a lot of people watching at home did not. But but like I think that's really down to the television product. The TV product, Jay, is so just out of sorts that my future wife, who does not like racing at all, 
went to Bristol last night and had a blast. But all she's ever seen before of NASCAR was on TV. So that tells you what the TV product's like. When you go to an actual race, Like even, even people who are agnostic on NASCAR are like, yeah, this was a great time. That that should that tells me a lot, but uh, no, the race was great. Uh, would love to go back in the fall, uh, but uh, there's a lot of logistics that go into that too. So we'll have to figure that one out. But Bristol, awesome, glad we did it. it used to be a little easier when it was in August. Now it's in September. We got lots of uh, yeah sporty type things to cover. Now it's a playoff ra- playoff race. Uh, playoffs playoffs. I I think we're seeing uh, what we're seeing with a lot of these is uh, like they rolled back the stage cautions at road courses because they were awful and just let them go green through the stage, the, the, the stage breaks. And I think what we're learning from that is that a lot of the stuff that NASCAR has tried to do to make the product more TV friendly has made it less TV friendly and ultimately not what it wanted to be or what they wanted it to be. It hasn't worked. And when you start rolling that stuff back, People celebrate it and they're ecstatic about it, and the product gets better. Yeah, that's all the NASCAR talk. I, I listen. We could dominate the whole pod with NASCAR. If if you let me go, I would go. But I think we've. It would only be you because you know <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I've been to that's some fair. races, and yeah. uh, uh, I think I've told the story. The um, whether. My junior year, senior year, whoever took the prom, whatever year, junior, senior year, Amy Smith, her dad owned, was part owner of the TriStar Motorsports. There were three owners, TriStar, I get it. Yeah. And so I used to go with uh, her and her brothers, uh-huh. and so I've been in the pits for Talladega and Bristol and Charlotte and a few others, and uh, Dick Trickle filled in for Loy Allen. One oh, year. yeah. And then it was a three-and-a-half-hour uh, rain delay, so I got mm-hmm. to sit in the – you know, uh, one of the trucker compartments there and listen to Dick Trickle smoke a cigarette in very uh, close confinement and then chain smoke, by the way. And then just uh, uh, had, honestly, one of the funniest people. As uh, I don't know how many people, no. I mean, I know the, he has a funny name, but I mean, in general, a funny person. And yeah, he answered every question and had a great time. So. Yeah. And uh, of course, uh, that last week was the uh, 30th anniversary of the death of Alan Kowicki uh, when his plane went down flying into Bluntville. And, um, the uh, Christopher Bell, who won the race, did uh, Kulwicki's iconic Polish victory lap where he goes backwards around the racetrack. That's what Kulwicki called it, and that's what uh, stuck, and so that's what we call it now. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, that was, that was a cool little sentimental moment at the end, driving backwards around the racetrack. Um, and, uh, yeah, o- overall, I just, like I said, I had a great time. You know, the track does it right. They've got it down to a science. Uh, nothing was outrageously overpriced relative to what I expect going into a major sporting event these days. And um, getting people in and out was really efficient. So I enjoyed it. I look forward to going back. I hope I get the opportunity to go back at some point. And uh, also, in the meantime, uh, support your local short track. Go to your local short track on the weekends. It's a lot of fun. You'll meet some really fun, eccentric people and you get to watch some entertaining races. And you'll be right on top of the action for like 20 bucks, maybe. Like 15 bucks. I think I went for 10 in North Dakota. It was great. Yeah. All right. That's 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 motorsports and regional stuff. 
What do you want to do here? Baseball? You want to talk about baseball? Baseball. baseball. That was a long Saturday. I'll bet, yeah. Long Saturday. Yeah, that was... Well, the first game was like three hours, wasn't it? Yeah, when you start a doubleheader at five, it's already going to be a long day. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they didn't really. I mean, they didn't really have a choice. Right, they had to get and, the games in. and they didn't want to play on Easter Sunday, right? So you, you know, and they had to bang um, uh, Good Friday. Weather was quite horrific on Friday. Yeah. So they got the Thursday game in. Me and you sat on the third base side there. Um, yep. And really, just one of those situational hitting i thought wofford did a good job on a couple of two out uh situations runners yeah. going ball in the gap you know running first comes around and score because he was already in motion you know good small ball type deal nice couple bunts here and there did see a uh, couple spectacular double plays uh cameron cisneros was great on 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 the first base corner the one where that he he turns two outs in a matter of second, a matter a fraction of a second. Yeah, where he he do, basically the ball is hit a rope down the line. He dove, and then not even half crawled, just kind of stuck his arm a little further and tagged the bag. Well, his momentum was right. carrying was him that way anyway. He was already flying toward the first base bag, so he just stuck out his glove and boop, done, double him off. It was awesome. Yeah, got a reaction from uh, the twin boys, which is hard to do because mm. you know they're not impressed by a lot. So. <laughs> But uh, so Wofford took game one, then Wofford took game two, and then ETSU down one nothing. started to pay attention on live stats because it was some ungodly hour, and ETSU <laughs> able to uh, salvage the third game and not get swept and picked up the 2-1 victory. Yep, they played a 9 and a 7 on Saturday, and Wofford won the 9, 8-5. to ETSU walked off the 7, 2-1 in an hour and 47 minutes, um, which put them just shy of 11 o'clock getting off the field on Saturday night. But they didn't play on Easter. That's and right. That was and they were done before Easter, before midnight. So, and Yes. Um, I, I'd say Cameron Cisneros is maybe the most important player on this team right now in, uh, in terms of position play. We saw what he could do defensively. He's shown his ability defensively. He's on a seven-game hitting streak, five-game RBI streak. Since March 19th, he's hitting 490 with five home runs. So he's got some power in there too. This guy is putting it all together at the right time and just seems to be clicking really nicely for ETSU. And and when you need him to step up because, you know, Tommy Barth's scuffling a little bit. He hasn't, you know, he's the guy that a lot of people had eyes on, you know, preseason all-conference, all this. And... Um, he has not been super great the last couple of weeks. Still trying, he's trying to get back to good form, and Cisneros has stepped up and picked up a lot of the 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 filled up a lot of the vacuum that Barth has left as he tries to recover the form we know he's capable of. So um, he was really he was really good all weekend. And Nathaniel Tate, what a bounce-back performance. His last two outings had not been good. He gave up a 10 spot uh, to Samford. ETSU won that game, but he gave up 10. Uh, He gave up a big number to Seton Hall as well in Sunday's game last week. And he comes out and he throws seven, one run on three hits and strikes out eight. When you had to have it, they got it. And now they've got, I mean, the two best teams in the SoCon... Sanford has raced out ahead of everybody. They've looked great. And Wofford are out of the way. 
You've got them done. Now you've got the teams that you've got an opportunity to really make some headway against. And Mercer is first up on on Friday night in Macon. That's a big one. That's one that, to me, is going to tell us a lot about where this team is going to end up when uh, when the season is over. I know it typically, you know, it's fourth, fifth, maybe sixth, somewhere in there. Um, I, I think if you want to be at the top of that group, and I think they do, and I think they're capable of it, this is where you deliver that performance, is Friday and Saturday against Mercer. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's another one that Mercer generally is top of the league, uh, top three. And so, honestly, I would say if you get past Mercer, even more so. I know VMI's off to a great start. They're, yeah. We laughed about it a, a few they days stole, ago. They steal a ton of bases. Yeah, uh, third, second, or third in the country, I think we looked at. And so, ETSU have to figure out a way to slow that down. But, you know, if you get through Sanford, Wofford, Mercer, that's pretty much the top three the last several years in the Southern Conference. And in, you know, middle of the pack right now, VMI, UNCG, and then Western ETSU and the Citadel. So ETSU still got plenty of time to kind of get going. It'll be curious to see. Mercer's interesting because I believe, uh, and I like Coach Gibson, but I believe uh, he lies about the distance of the wall to right field. It's mm-hmm. kind of like that. whatever that, that sign says it is, I would subtract 30. Uh, and if you play a lot of games there, if you're a right-handed batter, you just need to try to swing the lake, pop it up, and see if it'll float out of the ballpark. That or there's just a jet stream, and they've got a lot of left-handed hitters that uh, tend to sit and wait and try to pop one up down the line there as well. So that'll be a big couple games for uh, ETSU scheduled yep. for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it looks yeah, like. And that, that Mercer, they, they dropped two out of three to Western Carolina, including a slugfest. In the finale, 15-14. Good old getaway day game, getaway day game baseball. Um, well, and it's also yeah. a, a big test because you're talking about the next eight in a row on the road yes. for ETSU. So three at Mercer. Mercer Presbyterian, then at Tony Sit, Skull. Yep. And then and Radford. Radford. And then you're back home for the Cats. Uh, yeah, this is a big this is a big stretch. Um, you know, that's been kind of uh you, you get all those games at home and you're thinking hey here's an opportunity to capitalize and well, I don't know if they really did that to the degree to the degree that they wanted to and you got one more tomorrow against Radford and then you're on the road and uh, that's a big get right game then you go on to Mercer tough competition you know they, like you said they got a couple of guys that can really uh put some power behind the ball um uh, they just got they've got three guys with eight home runs and then another one with seven. And then another guy that doesn't hit as much has got six. So I mean they they're just they smack the ball. Yeah, I would love to see their home away split on home runs. Uh, I don't think they have it on there, but uh, it's not on their stats portal, Right, I don't, I don't think it is. Um, most universities don't have it broken down that way. You could I could probably do some math, but or at least go through box scores home and away and figure it out quickly without individuals. But still like I said, they, Coach Gibson does a great job of kind of recruiting to that right field, right center power alley. Uh, they generally always have pitching. It's usually the best uh, natural grass surface, um, them and probably Sanford uh, of anybody in the league. And so it's a beautiful surface. The stadium, they've spent a little bit more money uh, on the stadium part of it, but they really get a great crowd. 
that sit out there in right field because there's a lot of picnic benches and um, picnic tables and benches and things uh, for folks to enjoy. And it's perfectly between that and the sand volleyball uh, courts that they got going on there. So there's a ton of people uh, that goes up. And generally speaking, mid-April in Macon, Georgia is usually pretty good weather. So uh, you probably got some 70s maybe 80, depending on if it's a little bit of a hotter day. But it should be a good time for ETSU baseball. But it's the longest stretch they have road games. I think the only other longest stretch was a five-game road swing. Now they're going to play eight consecutive after the Tuesday game of Radford, which I glossed over. But so it didn't I, mean I, to gloss I, over. I got the math. I got the math. Right, uh, Mercer got? plays Kennesaw on Wednesday. That should be a fun one. Kennesaw is usually pretty good. I don't know how good they are this year. Uh, but Mercer has hit um, – 14 home runs in 11 road games and they have hit 36 in 22 home games so do with that math yeah. what you will uh, let look, me see let me let me do this five five that's 10 10 plus four 14 yeah I mean, it's a little over one home run, about a home run a game on the road, about a home run and a half. So it's take. it's definitely there's definitely a, a, a home home park factor for them. It's kind of like the old Cardinal Park. <laughs> I mean, the right right center. Yeah, you know, because it bowed because of the in. berm. Yeah. yeah, the berm it bowed in, and so it was actually shorter to right center than it was down the right field line, which makes not a lot of sense. Which mm-hmm. is why. And the wind always seemed to blow out the right field, so it was a little bit of a uh, a double whammy. But for Coach Gibson, you know, he's been there for a while now. Mercer does a great job, and and of course uh, Tony Skull in the Citadel, particularly not great hitting, but boy, he's brought in some new pitchers, and Citadel can pitch the baseball. They're just having trouble hitting the baseball. So yeah. ETSU very critical baseball. Uh, you know the next nine games, they got one home at Radford Tuesday tomorrow. And then again, eight in a row on the road before they come home for the end of April uh, to West Carolina. And don't forget, they have the weird uh, middle-of-the-season trip uh, to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State, which is usually pretty good at baseball. Usually, I would say, in, in general, the Big 12 is good at baseball. If it's a Big 12 school, it's good at baseball. So, All right. Let's Not take- necessarily like a hard and fast thing, but typically it, it's – it's, it's a good rule of thumb is Big 12 equals good at baseball. Softball? Want to talk softball? I do want to talk softball. Okay. Got a couple broadcasts coming up, right? We do, we do. We're bringing back, um, bringing back Baszler Field for ESPN Plus. It'll be myself and uh, Mar- Marlena Rogers, Nay Delisa, will be on the call. Former ETSU softball, um, well, she's kind of a utility player. She caught, she played right field, she did a lot of different things. But uh, was on the network. Yes, she was a student. She was. She was a student. She was on the network with us and. Um. Yeah. Excited to. Uh, I. I nearly, nearly, literally ran into Marlena coming out of an elevator the other day, uh, over in in uh, over in Dawson Hall, and uh, it was just great to see her. She was really excited. You know, our family's really happy uh, back in the Tri Cities, and so she's gonna jump on with us and uh, do a couple games and give us some some player insight 
in a big series between ETSU and Chattanooga. And I, I the record's not good. The record was never going to be particularly good, I don't think, for the Bucs. Um, expectations were not high, though. I mean, you look at the preseason poll, and I believe in the, they, they do the points, like you get a point for every place that yeah, you're voting. Yeah, you do, yes. Uh, do you know how many points ETSU got in that poll? I, I do. <laughs> Six. Yes, because... The, you the, can't vote for yourself. Because you can't vote for yourself. <laughs> so everybody in the league picked ETSU to finish last. And they are currently not last by, I believe, two games over Chattanooga. And uh, they are 3-6. and six. If they win one game this weekend, they'll match their SoCon win total from a year ago. They've already exceeded their overall win total from a year ago. This team is better. They're competing. You know, they had a coach dropped on them. Um, what fifty three? Is fifty three days before the first game? So it was always going to be a, a challenge. I think the beginning of the year was really just trying to figure out who had what and how they could make the most of them. And now they're starting to find some players that are going to work into some roles that are going to coalesce. Uh, Riley Nadley has really come a long way at shortstop. Cameron Young is very steady. Sarah Muir is really good at first base. Uh, the you know, Pitching has been a little bit up and down for her, but as a batter, as a, as a defensive position player, she's been really, really good. Uh, the, they've got a great young center fielder in Jasmine Sanchez. Uh, Kamaya Michelle provides speed. You know, they, they're, they're working on getting the clutch hit. They're working on getting out of some some tight spots where you know they don't give up the big hit, or if they do, it's a solo home run instead of a three-run home run, that sort of thing. Those are things that they're still going to be working through, but Cheryl Milligan, the interim head coach, told me, she said, I don't think the cupboard is bare with this team. I think we have some talent. I think you know we're going to be able to win more games than people expect us to win, and uh, they're, they're doing that already. So extremely proud of the group. Uh, they've represented the university well, and uh, I think they got a chance to to do something because, kind of like we talked about with baseball, they've got uh, the two best teams in the SoCon already out of the way. You know, Furman's done, UNCG's done, Sanford's pretty good, and they're done. So now, Chat, Western Carolina, and Mercer, all teams that you probably feel pretty good about going up against. Yeah, I mean. If you'd have told me this point in the year, ten wins and three and six with some of the wins they've had, they took a series against Furman. They took the what the yeah. last game against Sanford. The only game they yes, got they took the last was against, against Sanford. Sarah Muir was awesome at the plate. Two home runs, uh, had five RBIs in the game, which is the most that a, a Bucks had since twenty nineteen, I believe, maybe twenty eighteen. Well. I, and the fact that they're over 500 at home. Yeah. I mean, they're 6-5 and five at home overall. Um, you know, league play, I think they've just played three games. So, 2-1 and because of the Furman. Right. But a great opportunity um, for me because, you know, Chattanooga. And I, uh, I love Chattanooga. But I, I think it's a good opportunity, you know, again, if they could just pick up a couple wins, what you could do for this team, their confidence. I think Brianna Bailey, the way she's been able to – you know, kind of be the that go-to pitcher that maybe the beginning of the year you would not have thought that. So, I think there's a lot of positives for softball. And, again, you know, chat's an interesting one because 
couple years ago, they were really rocking and rolling in the last couple. Mm-hmm. You know, they've kind of just slowly been sinking down. Now, that's not to say they can't turn around. Plus, they have the advantage of they're going to host the conference tournament at their place, which is uh, uh, they always seem to perform a little better in the conference tournament when it's like a lot of teams when you're able to you know kind of sleep in your own bed it's your facility you kind of know how the ball is going to bounce no matter where it's hit there's a lot of things there but etsu i think the next couple of um series i mean they're going to get app state in on tuesday mm-hmm. then you got the three games with chat then it'll be a horrible long ride to cookville to take on tennessee tech then they'll get uh, the makeup game of the radford because they'll yeah. go uh, uh the weekend off they'll have this their SoCon weekend off, and then they're going to hit the road for Western Mercer in conference tournament time. Yeah, and I I, I actually kind of like the way that the softball tournament's set up because the only team that gets a bye is the number one seed, and those first round games, um, well, those first round games are double elimination, but like the only team that gets a bye this year is going to be the number one seed. Four five plays at ten a.m. On Wednesday, and then twelve thirty is the two seven, and three o'clock is the three six. Those are all tentative, but the number one seed plays the winner of the four five matchup the following day at twelve thirty. They're the only ones that get a buy out of the first round, and everybody else has to play an extra game. That is a huge advantage, and I like that. I like that you're rewarding the number one team in the conference for being the best team in the conference and giving them that built-in advantage. Um, Having said that, I definitely think if you have the opportunity to finish in the fifth spot, you give yourself the the fourth spot. That 4-5 matchup is probably your best opportunity to win a game. Um, Because then if you're going to face the 3-6, then you're going to face the 2-7. Like If if you're the sixth seed and you win, you got to face the two seed, which is probably going to be, at this rate, it looks like it's going to be Furman which could be challenging, but also could be very doable. Um, I I think UNCG, everyone will agree at this point, um, is kind of the team to beat. And Furman has looked good at times, but we've also seen Furman go on the road and get beat. So I look at that and I say, okay, um, who of those teams would I want to face in the first round? Does it matter if I'm playing the number one seed in the second round? I think the Bucks have some pretty favorable matchups where on any given day, with perhaps the exception of the Spartans, um, ETSU can win some games. Again, all about matchups. And ETSU, at least in the three games they had against UNCG this year, not a good matchup, but they have a good matchup against Furman. Yeah. You know, I find it curious, too, if UNCG can – kind of get things going turned around uh, you know they were the number one seed last year yeah they hosted the tournament and chattanooga was the three seed that ended up winning the tournament yep. at uncg so i would assume uncg's already got that kind of circled wanting to see chattanooga at some point right now right now chattanooga is at the bottom i have a weird feeling they're probably not going to stay there at the bottom, but we'll just, you know, again, let it play out. But UNCG's been really good the last several years. And to your point, Furman did take two, and they only played two against UNCG, but Furman Furman swept that two-game set between uh, Furman and UNCG. So Furman is up top, but I just – UNCG's just really good at everything, man. Like, that team doesn't have weaknesses, um, and and I, I would expect them to rebound. 
Well, and, and you know, UNCG is going to play Samford. And so Samford is really kind of the team that's jumped up there because before the season, I would have said probably UNCG, Chattanooga, Furman, probably one, two, three in some form or fashion. Samford, maybe four. Yeah. Uh, and so Samford sitting at six and three for UNCG, if they're going to try to climb back into it, they, I don't know if they can drop a lot of ground. If they're looking for a regular season championship, then I think they're going to have to perform um, this weekend at home when they host Samford. And then Mercer and Furman will go at it, and then ETSU chat. So it'll be a week off for uh, Western Carolina. Uh, they'll just have to wait uh, a weekend to jump back into Southern Conference play. So when you get an odd number of team, mm-hmm. you know, to, sometimes it's hard to kind of keep up with the, the different number of games. And, you know, sometimes the standings are a little bit – so you, it's really easy to look at the loss – Sort of, you know, where ETSU's at three and six. Well, Chad hadn't played as many games, they're two and four. So just keep an eye on that loss column and try to not lose ground there for ETSU. You know, for Chattanooga, oh, they're sitting there going, well, if we just sweep ETSU, you know, we're sitting there at five and four, and then they can leapfrog a bunch of people um, if they can. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a little tougher in the softball um, standings to kind of keep up with some of it as opposed to uh, baseball where there is eight. And yes, there is a week off here and there for some teams, but generally speaking, it's a little easier. Uh, to keep up uh, with the standings to where it is there. But I think for Coach Milligan, I mean, I think he got a great opportunity um, after they go on the road to Appalachian State on Tuesday, come home, a great opportunity. Man, if they were able to to just win the series, you know, and go to five and seven, I mean, I think that's going to climb them up a little bit up the ladder uh, as far as it goes and just set the stage for just believing mm-hmm. because it's been a while since they've won just a, a tournament game. Forget winning the tournament. It's been a long time since I believe they've won a, a Southern Conference uh, postseason game. So you certainly need to try to uh, get that going. I mean, I know it doesn't seem that far ago that they went to the NCAA tournament in the Auburn Regional, but yeah. it, it – it, it's it's slowly the calendar has turned some since then. So well, twenty eighteen is the last time they won multiple series. That was the regional year. Um, if if memories, yeah, uh, twenty eighteen was the last time they won multiple SoCon series. And you got to go back for the last time they won a SoCon tournament game. I'm thinking it's oh it's well yeah they weren't in there was no tournament I guess in in twenty twenty or they weren't in it in twenty twenty one. Uh, so you're going back to at least 2019. Yeah, 2019 is the last time uh, they won a a SoCon tournament game. That would have been my guess. It would have been 2019. It's been a while. Yeah. Long, long story short, been a while uh, since ETSU. Um, that's the song, right? Been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. So if ETSU can, to me, that's huge. If they can, you know, try to get middle of the pack seed. Win a game, you know, who knows? Play with uh, the old house money. See what happens from there. Uh, but it all starts coming up with this weekend where you'll have the call. Once again, uh, you and Marlena will have the call uh, on ESPN+. Plus. We'll have uh, scheduled all three games, correct, on the – Yes. Uh, currently we are uh, expecting all three games. If uh, something changes, we'll just keep an eye on ETSUbucks.com. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. Portal Watch. Valar Portalis or something. All right, we got Portal Watch. 
around the Southern Conference. Uh, I believe ETSU folks in the portal are still in the portal. Yes. No one, uh, as I'm looking at verbal commits right now, uh, it does not appear that anyone from ETSU that left has found a landing spot just yet. Um, I would anticipate the portal will... We are starting to see more players land. More players are starting to find places to go play. So I would anticipate that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, for uh, players that have landed, uh, there are some interesting ones from other places in the conference, including one that's not leaving the conference. Kamar Robertson, formerly guard for Mercer, is a graduate transfer to Western Carolina. How about that? Yeah. That's a big ad for the Catamounts. And and that group just continues to find ways to get better. That is going to be a fun team to watch or a maddening team to watch. If you're a team, a fan of like four out, three ball, they play a ton of that. They might play five out at times next year and just shoot as many threes as humanly possible. I'm fascinated to watch Western Carolina this fall. Uh, they also landed Cornelius Williams, a uh, 6'9 freshman out of LSU, transferring and uh, coming into to Cullowee as well. So that's a couple of really nice gets for that group, and uh, they're, they're building something down there. Mercer, a little bit of movement. Uh, three have found homes that transferred out of Mercer. They've at least got one coming in. I think we talked about it last time, Robbie Carmody, the yes. transfer from Notre Dame. We talked about that. But we talked about two Mercer players had already transferred out. But a third one, your favorite guy, Sean Walker Jr., yes. has found him a home. Murray State. He's going to go play at Murray State. And, uh, well, they uh, – <laughs> Well, they call flagrants in the Missouri Valley Conference. I'll just say that. <laughs> All right. So the other two, uh, the big, I'm just going to gloss right over that. Uh, uh, as, as I'm sure you you are right. To you already mentioned Robertson gone, but also uh, David, uh, David Craig, the big seven foot two, seven yes. foot three. We talked about that when Tennessee Tech. Yep. Uh, one other, a uh, couple of incoming players, Winston Hill from Presbyterian Transfers, a 6'7", senior grad transfer will go to the Citadel. Yep. And then out of uh, Pepperdine, uh, Jan Zedzik, 6'9", will go to Chattanooga. That's probably Jan. Jan! He is uh, from the Czech Republic. Yes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to you and your Czech knowledge. I check knowledge. Yes. Is that not a uh, is that not a checkmate? You better you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Jan Zedek is how uh, probably how I'd say that. There you go. Yes, from uh, Pepperdine six nine two forty coming to Chattanooga. Uh, and we mentioned Stephen Clark going to South Carolina last time. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. Zedek's interesting because I mean he's not really like a super prolific rebounder by reputation. But also, I mean, he's got the size. You would imagine Europeans, you know, big skill guys. There's probably a lot that he can contribute. And it probably helps them fill the the Jake Stevens void a little bit. Kind of looking for the next Jake Stevens is sort of a diamond in the rough type guy. 
We'll see how it goes. Did uh, one uh, player of note that a lot of Buck fans were paying attention to was Robert McCray mm-hmm. from Wake Forest ends up choosing Jacksonville. So uh, one of Steve Forbes' guys did not come to Johnson City. Yeah. VMI, no movement there. They had a couple transfer down. We mentioned Hauser going to Delaware. Well, we had another one. We had another one. This is the big one. Jay, We have just it just occurred to me that we've massively buried the lead in Portal Watch. Okay. We've massively buried the Oh, lead. you're going to Wofford. Because the most important, most noteworthy player in the portal has found a spot. Jackson Pavletsky will transfer to Iowa State, back a little closer to home in the upper Midwest, and play for, who even is the head coach there now? Is it TJ Otzelberger still? It is. It's still TJ Otzelberger? Okay. Uh, he will play for Otz. He, he will go on an Otzesi and uh, play for TJ Otzelberger in Ames, which has some really uh, exceptional restaurants. Like you would you wouldn't you would think uh, if you are just a fan of like various forms of smoked or grilled meats, you will love Ames, Iowa. It's it's got it's got a lot of it, a lot of that going on. Mostly uh, dry rub. There are some pretty good sauces up there, but it's mo- I think it's mostly dry rubs. But I don't remember for sure. Uh, but yeah, smoked chicken, smoked ribs. Uh, you get a good steak there. You get a great steak there. I mean, Iowa's got plenty of beef cattle, so like it's all locally sourced. It's right there. Uh, my one trip to Ames uh, was with the women's basketball team when I went to the NCAA tournament, and they were doing the regionals. Yeah. And I remember Ames being uh, – Dark, gloomy, and uh, well, that's your. Lot, pro- well, the problem is that you went in March. It's not. It's not. It's not nice in March. Well, I didn't. I mean, I just didn't pick a. I mean, I was told to go. I mean, yeah. It wasn't like I just vacationed. But no, like I mean, we went in November one time and it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you go in the summer and it's you know there's not football going on, but it doesn't get dark till nine thirty, nine forty five at night. It's pretty great. Uh, it's pretty great. Football is awesome. They pack the place. They pack, um, they they pack the Coliseum for for basketball as well. But Tipton Coliseum, um, they pack it, and it's 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 awesome I, to see that fan support. I was disappointed because we actually didn't get to play. I thought it was actually on campus, but they have a downtown arena, the Wells Fargo Arena, if that's what it's still named. Uh, Hilton, not Tipton, Hilton Coliseum. Hilton Coliseum mm. is where they play. So I, I like when the term, even if it's a regional-type atmosphere there, I like it if it's still on a college campus as opposed to a uh, downtown yeah. arena. That being said, uh, I don't remember uh, having bad food. I'll say that. I don't remember what all I yeah, had. No, it was a long time ago. There's plenty of good food up there. There's plenty of good food up there. That was like 14 was, years ago, Keith. That was a really good – that was probably better than um, Cedar Falls, Waterloo, going to northern Iowa, I would say. And, of course, Iowa City is going to have the best of the best because that's where the Hawkeyes are. But Iowa State's got really, really good stuff and uh, is a great place to go uh, hang out, watch watch a sports. I'm watching a sports. That's what my fiancé would probably say. Mm. All right. Any other big uh, portal news, at least in the league? I didn't not, see Not much other. else in the conference. Um, I, I do have one in women's basketball, though. Do you want to talk about this? Haley Van Lith of Louisville is in the transfer portal. Van Lith is already an established star. This this may be, and and 
I want to take too big of a leap here, but also uh, nothing ventured, nothing gained. This might be the biggest transfer portal entry since the transfer portal became a thing. Right, Van Lith is 20 points a game, six rebounds, three assists. She is the star of that Louisville team. And she's now in the transfer portal has decided that she wants to leave a traditional power in women's basketball and go somewhere else. Speculation abounds on where that might be, but just she, she's also made a, a, a checked a do not contact designation in the portal. A lot of people think, oh, well, she already knows where she's going. That's not necessarily the case. Um, it's just maybe they want more control over their transfer portal process. They think they're going to have dozens of schools reaching out that she doesn't want to go play for. And they they just want to have a little bit more of a, hey, we're going to reach out to people. Don't call us, we'll call you type deal. And uh, I, I don't, I can't judge, but also I'm really surprised that someone would walk away from a traditional power that, Went to what? What did they? Did they go to the Elite Eight this it was year. Elite Eight. Yeah. Yeah. They got beat by Iowa in the Elite Eight. You're going to Elite Eights and Final Fours, and you're going to the portal like that. That doesn't. I mean, if you're looking for a situation, if you're looking for a situational fit, you're the number one player on an Elite Eight team. There are very few places you can go that are going to be better than that. LSU, UConn maybe, uh, but again, like this, there's not a lot, and those places have to really, you know, make sense for you, and you have to make sense for them from a lineup construction standpoint. I, just, I don't know, man. I just, I think it's going to be really, really difficult to find a spot that's better than where she was. It's the first, it's the the one that I saw go into the portal that made me go, holy expletive, wow. Like, I was just, just stunned by it. More so than Stanford losing players. A little bit more. I mean, Stanford, newsflash, Stanford is actually beholden to the trade wins of college athletics. Because I think Stanford thought its academics maybe insulated it from some of that. And uh, did not. Uh, they also lost, uh, among the players they lost, Agnes Emanopu, who is uh, the older sister of Antoinette Emanopu, who plays for UNC Greensboro. There you go. More fun facts. <laughs> I, got, right. I, I got plenty of them. I like it. All right, good show. Good show. What do we got coming up this week? Uh, this week? Well, we got some guests, right? We're gonna have at least one guest that we gotta gotta have yep. sit down with us. We do need do need to uh, get some guests lined up. We need to talk to folks. Hopefully, we will have some uh, uh, basketball news we can release at some point. That would be nice. That would be nice. Chris Arkenberg uh, joining the staff, by the way, twelve years at New Orleans mm -hmm. as an assistant. So one spot left as far as the assistant coaches is because obviously yeah. Joe Hugley's got the second or the first spot, whatever spot. There's two taken. One to go. Yes, there are two takes, and there are only two takes, and there's and, one take still to be taken. And Coach Mock has still one spot to fill this. Correct. Year. Yes. And that whole staff went to the Final Four. Uh, she's probably still sifting through resumes right now. All right. We'll be back with you later this week.
Talking a little ETSU athletics. Jane Keith. Oh, you gotta be kidding me!